You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we're hammering away at our typewriter in Fab Facts. There's our birthday surprise in the randomizer. And we continue our interview with Justin and Lindsay Lee for part three. And I've got a new puppy. That's all coming up in pod 171. You've what? Of the Jerry Anderson podcast. She's so cute. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Hello and oh, welcome hey, what, what, to... What, 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 wait, what? wait, wait. You've got a new puppy. Well, I was going to say, this is the uh, Jamie's New Puppy podcast. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, a fifth oh. dog has joined <gasps> the uh, Anderson canine clan. And Crikey. she is a miniature dachshund and her name is Winnie. And uh, oh. she's very cute and you may hear her possibly interrupt the recording of this podcast. So... If you're listening and hoping for pure Jerry Anderson stuff, then apologies mm. for dilution by puppy squeaks. Oh, <laughs> lovely. You'll look forward to it. Yeah, probably. Anyway, look, this isn't all about my puppy, although it might be. Mm. Uh, uh, my name is Jamie Anderson, and I'm joined by uh, this other voice who is... Richard James. And sitting in silence over there, deep in meditation and wearing a yeah. rather fetching orange toga... He is, uh, isn't he? ...is Chris Dale... Chris Dale is the randomizer, oh, and he's oh, called that. Sh- sh- oh, bit, bit quiet. I don't, I don't think we should. Uh, sorry, Chris. Quite so loud. Chris, Chris is the randomizer, and that's because he does yeah. the Jerry Anderson randomizer, um, yes. in which he chooses a random episode using a device called the randomizer, watches it, and gives his comments. Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. he seems pretty deep in in meditation now, so I think we're okay. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. good. Uh, what else can people expect from this cavalcade of Andersonery? Well. <laughs> Isn't it a shame, Jamie, that we go all week without talking all things Jerry Anderson? But are we lucky that just once a week for this brief window of time, brief, we have the opportunity enough. to do just that? <laughs> uh, we've got lots of stuff coming up. We've got some Jerry Anderson news, of course, because as I used to say, and I will say again, there's brand new Jerry Anderson stuff happening right now. Correct. And there is, because I've just done some of it before we uh, came and recorded you this have. podcast. Don't yes. talk about that, uh, though. Right, sure. Um, we've also got, yes, Chris Dale's amazing randomizer coming up a little later on. We've got some questions, comments, and reviews from our wonderful Podstrons who've been emailing us at podcast.jerryanderson.com. They've been commenting on our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Podstrons, and they've been commenting on our YouTube videos too, and I should be reading out all of those a little later on, together with some tweets that they've been leaving and hashtagging us, Jerry Anderson Podcast. We've got the third part of Jamie's interview with uh, Justin and Lindsay Lee, and, lest we forget, Fab Facts. Oh, the oh. best bit of all. Oh, well, that's really? very exciting. Now, uh, Richard James, I mm. have a small problem well, in that <laughs> it's yes, not a medical consulting oh, thing. Ah. Uh, I'm actually currently writing down the news. Oh, are you? Yes. Um, I see, as it happens. Well, it's because it's a very busy time. And uh, if the recent 
pre-order launch of the Moonbase Alpha Technical Operations <sighs> Manual wasn't enough. Yeah. I'm going to be teasing some more stuff in the news. Uh, Get it's, out. It's such a busy time. Uh, mm. I haven't actually had time to do it, so I'm writing it right now. So Ooh. I'm thinking, as a bit of a change from the norm, for Fab yeah. Facts, how about... Oh, yeah. You introduce Fab Facts and tell uh, the Podstrons the name of the game <gasps> and how it works, and then um, I will have done the news, and then I'll get flicking in the book. How's that? Oh, great. Bring on Mark Silk. Now, time for this week's Fab Facts. Yes, it's Fab Facts with a slight difference, because, Jamie, I think I should take charge while you write down the news. You can do the whole thing. I'm going to do the whole thing. I have got in my sweaty little mitts my very own copy of our special Fab Facts. I'm going to flick through the pages, and when Jamie shouts Fab, I'm going to stop flicking and read from the page a selected random Fab Fact. Are you ready, Jamie? This is so novel. I'm so ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. Fab. Oh, oh, oh very good. Oh. Is, that, is that okay, Fab No, shouting? that's nice. That's good. quite... Oh, I like this one because it's... Well, okay. Let's read on. Now, Jamie, you've done a spot of writing in your time, haven't you? Now, where do you like to write? At my desk. <laughs> uh, have you got a little writing nook? Uh, sometimes when I'm doing handwritten stuff, I'll sit on my little chair in my office, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got lots of places I like not to write, like you know, in the garden, <laughs> down by the river, where I should be doing some writing. But anyway, now, now lots of famous writers have been notorious for their strange writing habits. Sometimes... Necessity determines the method. For example, back in the late 70s, when Jerry was having a tough time in his career, while writing a documentary on the history of telecommunications for the company Ericsson, he was forced to turn down the thermostat in order to save a few pounds on heating. I think we've all been there. Thus, the project was written huddled over a typewriter in his overcoat. Another classic example is writer Donald Robertson. Donald Robertson might not be a name you know, as he didn't mm. collaborate as long with uh, Jerry as some others like Tony Barwick, but he made major contributions to an obscure show called um, Thunderbirds. Never heard of it. Yeah, hardly anyone remembers it. And we never talk about it here on the Jerry Anderson podcast. Now, Donald was an engineer by trade and transitioned into script writing by working on industrial films. While keeping that as his day job, he tried to transition into television writing by knocking on doors and sending out submissions to various producers. When watching Fireball XL5 with his kids, he got the idea to write a draft script on, a script rather, on spec for AP Films. Six months later, would you believe, he was called up and asked to join a story conference. Now, having three small children at home, Donald was forced to seek peace and quiet outside of the house. And somewhat unusually, he chose to put his office in a caravan at the ah, end yes. of the garden, which sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Sounds lovely. Sort of. So, that's right. Some of the fan-favourite episodes of Thunderbirds, including Edge of Impact, Desperate Intruder, Danger at Ocean Deep and Path of Destruction, were written in a caravan late in the evening by the light of a paraffin lamp. Oh, do you think the fumes oh, inspired him? Yeah, well, I think they might certainly have done something to him. Uh, <laughs> there are, of course, many legends uh, about the writing of various scripts for Jerry Anderson shows, many including the entirety of Dick Spanner and quite a few of the works of Dennis Spooner, allegedly germinated after a few pints down at the local pub. <laughs> Tony Barwick and Shane Rimmer brainstormed stories together out on the golf course. Well, do you know any more tales of Anderson's screenwriters? How did you go about getting some writing done? 
Send us an email, let us know, podcast at jerryanderson.com, and we'll read some out next time. Now, we know that there are lots of very creative podstrons out there, and we know that they Absolutely. like a bit of fan fiction and putting pen to paper. So let us know. Where do you like to write? Have you got your own little writing nook? Have you got a favourite armchair or a window to gaze out of? Let us know. Yeah, some people go to the local coffee shop or to a library yeah. or something, don't they? Yeah. You, you go I, I to the local that- coffee shop, don't you? Yes, sometimes it's just a, a, a change of surroundings. Yeah. You know, I could quite easily write at home, but there are firstly so many distractions, but also uh, just the change of surroundings. The other day I went into London and sat down outside the BFI, which is a place we know well on the South Bank, and spent a couple of hours writing and just watching the world go by. It's just that you know change of atmosphere that sometimes helps to get the juices flowing. It does indeed. You're right. Mm. It's, it's sometimes just... Going out for a walk or whatever. Sometimes you try and force yeah. an idea to come and it just won't. No. And you you walk away from it and then things start to flow. Yeah. It's a very strange process creating anything. It is it? a strange process, yes, Much exactly. Much like creating uh, a podcast. Indeed so. Uh, How do we try the words again? Sorry. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of this week's... Writing <laughs> Fact! Ah, uh, you see, we realigned <laughs> because of this total change of scenery. Finally. Yeah, yeah it's that's been, right. It's that's been weeks it since we said the same thing at the end of Fab Facts, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Now, now, did that give you time to put the news down? Do you know what? It Talking has, of writing, Jamie? It has allowed me time to think about it. It's so much so that I feel like there's almost too much news. Um, never. We can, no, 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 never have too much Jerry Anderson news. Okay, well, uh, let's see. We'll we'll let the Podstrons be the judges of that. Uh, now we will. Now uh, you've given me that lovely break uh, from yeah. from saying fab facts. I feel like it's time that you did more things. So oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> have you got All any right. messages from around yeah. the Podstron universe there? Of course I have, because they've been emailing us in at podcast at jerryanderson.com, as they always do. For example, Paul Guest has written in to say, regarding the idea of backwards and diverse events. Ah, yes, this was uh, an idea of yours, Jamie. Ah, yes. to, uh, how can you tell? Jerry Anderson series in the mirror, as it were, you know, reversely. He says, uh, uh, two events immediately leap to mind. It wouldn't hold up for an entire show, but an episode of, you guessed it, Joe 90, where the villains break into the big rat only for Professor McLean to fill them with the mind print of his nine-year-old son. Quite like that. Or a Secret Service episode where Matthew is trebled in size after a failure of the minimizer, thus making Bishop's operation obvious to everyone. Amazing. I think I prefer the latter. And there's nothing against Joe, obviously. No, no, obviously. No. Uh, Paul says, maybe those are too close to the original shows now I come to think about it. Anyway, thanks for all the hard work, chaps. SIG, Paul Guest. I like that Joe 90 idea. I mean, did it ever happen that that Joe 90 was, was, was grabbed by the villains and had, you know, sort of bad... A bad brain implant, if you know what I mean, to turn him evil. Uh, I mean, uh, the only nearest one was when they use. I think. I mean, I'm not a Joe 90 expert, as well. You know. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. there was a kind of double cross thing, wasn't there? When they 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 inputted the, the brain pattern of a traitor, a, tra- a traitor spy. Ah, so he was working uh-huh. for the enemy already. Yeah. And they didn't yeah, know. So yeah. then Joe sort of was working for the enemy. I think that's right. Ah. So. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Mark and Karen Lawson got in touch saying, uh, hi, fellow Podstrons, happy breakaway day. This is referring, of course, to September 13th, just last week. Here's a little something, says Mark, that my wife Karen gave me to celebrate this morning over a cup of coffee after work. And he included a nice picture of a lovely Cadbury's breakaway biscuit. How appropriate. A classic. Uh, He says, thanks, Jamie, Richard, Chris, and all the great team at Gerry Anderson uh, for all the great stories, interviews, updates, newsy news. 
merch, 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 and much, much more. Have a great day, Mark and Karen Lawson. Uh, Terry from Hereford, finally, for now, got in touch to say, did you know that the moon buggies from Space 1999 were based on the Scottish-built Argo cats used by most of the UK rescue services? My own personal one, uh, favourite one, or rather, is a fluorescent red colour with purple strobes, indicating it is a priority vehicle. I'm a rescue commander with the team, and I'm proud to say that I've been inspired by your father for the last 20 years to create some new concept vehicles thanks to brains from Thunderbirds. Not one is a copy of their craft. They're all from my own brain. Nice. I hope you received my picture last month. Uh, Regards to you all. Uh, And that's from uh, Terry from Hereford. Yes, Terry, we got your picture last week. Thank you so much for that. Obviously, we can't show pictures on the podcast, but we do appreciate all your lovely photographs and drawings and artwork. Keep sending them in to podcast at jerryanderson.com. Yes, we we love Mm. reading your emails and Richard loves... uh, selecting the best ones to be read out the podcast we should say I actually do. that you don't read out everything that comes through um no so we just don't have enough time unless we had no. a jerry anson podcast listeners emails podcast uh, maybe that's something for the future well but not for now there's no idea no okay uh, <laughs> while we ponder that would you like some jerry anson news oh have you written it down there's a lot of it let's get started uh now Right, I think it might right. be possibly the largest ever Jerry Anderson <gasps> newsy news 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 news, 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 news. Yeah. So, on, then. let me take a big deep breath. Can't wait. <sighs> okay. Right. I feel like there should be some uh, Rocky music or something for this because it's, it's so epic. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Okay, got it. Here we go. So, uh, lots of you are probably aware, in fact, all of you must be by now, of the Space 1999 Moonbase Alpha Technical Operations Manual, which was launched as a pre-order last week for Breakaway Day on the 13th of September. And goodness me, what an incredible response. Um, Mm. The special edition sold out in one hour and 58 minutes, which was amazing. And pre-orders have just flooded through, and we are so grateful for your support. It is an amazing project. Uh, Chris Thompson, Andrew Clements, David Hirsch, uh, Steve White, the team at Amazing 15 who've done the design, Phil Plate, uh, David Parker, they've all put in so much effort. It's an amazing thing. Obviously, special kudos and hats off to Chris Thompson, who's done 224 brand new illustrations. Amazing. Caught that boy works so hard. Well done, Chris. Um, but it's a beautiful book, it's the biggest project we've really done to date, uh, mm. certainly on the publishing front. And we're very grateful yeah. for your support. Uh, if you have not yet pre ordered, I'm afraid you have missed out on the uh, the pre order gifts, which was a, a poster and a patch. Oh, yes. uh, if you pre order now, you'll just get the standard edition as it is. Saying just, it is a yeah. thing of beauty. Yeah, um, it really is. But you will no longer get the extra pieces, and we're not going to make them available elsewhere. So if you missed out, sorry, but we did give you plenty of warning. So, yeah, there you go. If you have got it, or you managed to pre-order a special edition, let us know, podcast at jerryanderson.com. We'll be uh, teasing some more content from that book in the coming weeks and months, and it should be delivered into the UK third week of November, and we'll get them out to you as soon as possible after that. So Okay. Great. Wherever you are, Not you so certainly long. should have it in time for Christmas. Yeah, lovely. Moving away from books uh, and on to something handmade and rather lovely. We've been working Ooh. with a screen print artist called John Patrick Reynolds. John, uh, under the guidance of our team, has selected some rather lovely images from TV21 and created short runs of handmade, screen printed editions of 30 
worldwide, featuring Captain Scarlet and uh, Thunderbird 2 and Thunderbird 1 ah. and Scott Tracy. We'll be releasing those over the next couple of months, um, just one ah. at a time. They are absolutely gorgeous. Each one is kind of in- to- we're totally individual because it's done by hand one after another. And so there's little imperfections on each one. But John is a, is a great artist. He's worked with DC Thompson, who uh, owned the Beano, to do a lot of oh, Beano yes. stuff in the past. Uh, <clears throat> look him up. His stuff's rather lovely, and these will look gorgeous on your wall if you're looking for some Anderson-inspired art that is a, a little bit quirky and cool. On the Space 1999 front again, but uh, this time not on publishing, but on clothing, lots and lots and lots of you have been saying, when can I get a purple sleeve? When can I get a red sleeve? <laughs> uh, talking about the uniform cosplay tops. Well, I can tell yes. you that the red and purple sleeve editions are now in manufacturing. Ooh. And we will be uh, making them live for pre-order about a week or two before they're due to arrive in the UK so mm-hmm. that uh, we can ship things out and turn them around to you pretty fast. But yes, purple and red sleeves are en route. If there are any other colours you'd like to see, email us podcast at jerryanderson.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on that. Great. We're not even halfway through here, you know. What? Uh, Thunderbirds International Rescue Field Agents Notebook. Uh, oh, yeah. which is a really lovely uh, sort of black leatherette style thing with a debossed International Rescue logo on the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll make a great Christmas gift. Uh, great gift for dads, grandfathers. I mean, anyone really, actually. There's no there's no limit to who might love this thing. Um, no. But they will be launching in the next couple of weeks. On the note of Thunderbirds, we are now 10 days away, just 10 days from the day of launch, yes. that is, from Thunderbirds Day 2021. Yes! Now, for this Thunderbirds Day we wanted to do something slightly different. So, mm-hmm. as well as the usual Thunderbirds Day t-shirt designs, of which there will be two complimentary designs, we hope. Uh, they've yet oh, to be locked in right now, but uh-huh. uh, they're lined up shortly. We will be giving you a free audio story, which will be available oh, to download nice. from the Jerry Anson store. We may even put it in the podcast as well. It's specially read and edited and uh, sound designed by our very own Nicholas Briggs, who's our audio exec producer. Um, He's done a gorgeous job. It's a great 21-minute story from an old annual from the 1960s. Very authentic, very fun, Mm -hmm. and a nice way way to celebrate the day. We will also be announcing something on the 30th of September. Oh, will we? Can I just suggest Mm. that you put a date in your diary? All right, yes. Okay, go on. <clears throat> it's the 16th of April. 16th of April, yeah. 2022, yeah? Clear, yeah? yeah, that's it, yeah. So okay. I just strongly suggest that, you know, you might want to put that in your diary. I'll say no more right now, but all will be revealed on Thunderbirds Day. Um, mm-hmm. We're doing something rather special, and I think you're going to love it. So Great. put that in your diary. Now, uh, let's just uh, talk about some free stuff. Because we do God, like a still free, don't we? Yeah. I know. Go on. Yeah. But lovely yeah. Chris Dale has, has in the honour of uh, Breakaway Day 2021, produced a fantastic documentary on our YouTube channel about how UFO 2 became Space 1999 in a very cleverly entitled uh, uh, documentary called UFO 2 Space 1999. Space 1999. Oh, yeah. you see? I see what you did there. Uh, Some some great footage in there. Fantastic story, as usual, from Chris. And be really interesting for fans of UFO or Space 1999, or both. Speaking of UFO... Wow. We're almost there now. Our very, very talented team uh, have been working on a UFO comic anthology. So all of the the, the UFO comics from Countdown and TV Action are going to be reproduced restored and looking gorgeous 
in two volumes, two hardback volumes, uh, with the first volume being released later this year, probably late November. We'll have more details on that, previews of the interior and more information in due course, but it's going to look lovely. And uh, if you're a UFO fan, it's going to be the only way to get a complete one. We've been, yeah. we've been working with some fantastic guys uh, getting uh, some extra articles, information in there. So it's not just a plain reproduction. You're going to get some background of how the comics came together, background on the artists, a couple of interviews. Like it. Yeah, nice. it's a really, really lovely mm. package. More yeah. on that very, very soon. And finally, I know I've mentioned yeah. Thunderbird's Day, but I suspect at the end of this month, there's also going to be an announcement of some sort about something that we're working on, Richard, which you know that we've been working on for a little while. Oh, that again, yes. will be of particular interest to all listeners of this podcast. <gasps> yes. Um, yeah, I can say no more, mm. but it won't be long until uh, that all news right. is confirmed. Goodness me, we always wow. say it, there's a huge amount going on and so much more that we can't even talk about yet. Yeah. It's a great time to be a Jerry Anderson fan and Pottertron. Really? We're very grateful for you joining us on this fantastic voyage. Aha! But oh, I think that's it. I'm knackered. That's the end of this week's Jerry Anderson News. That was the news. The very long news. Goodness well, me. Well done, Jamie. I can see why you took fab facts off this Did week. you see? As, yes. So as we enter the second day of this podcast, uh, yeah. it feels like it's gone on that long. Um, yeah, yeah, it really I'm, does. I'm going to have a little break <laughs> while I hand back to you, Dickie oh, James, and you can no, uh, say some things. Yes, stuff. absolutely. I'll, I'll see what I can find. Uh, but firstly, before we go any further, you, you mentioned some debossed, the debossed cover for the Thunderbirds. What's the difference between debossed and embossed? Um, I'm not really sure, but I think an yeah. embossed is a pushing through from one side, so you get a raised surface, uh, and a debossed is pushing down is from the, punched. the... Yeah, punched down, I yeah. think. But Postrons, yeah. I'm happy to be corrected. If you know... Please email us podcast at jerryanderson.com. Uh, yes. I'd, I'd love to know the, the truth behind this matter. Yeah, good idea. Uh, in the meantime, you are, of course, as ever, listening to the one and only Jerry Anderson podcast. Now, you can subscribe to us on whichever platform you listen to us on. Please do. It's the perfect way to make sure that you don't miss an episode because you get a notification every week that a new episode has dropped. Uh, also, you can leave us there on those platforms of choice, a lovely review or rating and let us know how we're getting on. And if you'd be so inclined, you can even copy and paste the URL into all your various social medias to let your friends know what exactly you're listening to. And you might even encourage them to listen to us too. Now, if you're on Facebook, you can join in on our Facebook group. Mm. Um, they have lots of fun in there. For example, Luna has just relaunched her standby for watching stream every week, featuring uh, favourite episodes, but also some of our, uh, our lovely Podstron's own creations on the creator stream, which is always worth a, a, a watch. Uh, Simpsons Clips 24 has posted, If any Podstron's can remember back to Pod 169 which wasn't that long ago, to be honest. You may remember that when Chris Dale watched the episode Bird of Prey for his randomizer, he was confused about why Trump, uh, that's Dr. <laughs> Aegon's falcon, yeah. was commanded to go back into the black hole. Fortunately, as the Andiverse's self-proclaimed Lavender Castle expert, I could shed light on this question. Hurrah. Yes, he says, in the original script for the episode, Dr. Aegon promised to feed Trump if he managed to catch the paradox. And when Trump got the ship lodged in her throat, he said something along the lines of, well, if you think I'm going to feed a useless creature the size of a freight liner, you can think again. Hence why Aegon orders Trump to go back into the black hole. Hope that clears it up, Chris. I, I mean, I, I, I I'm think not so. the wiser. <laughs> okay. 50 <laughs> uh, Yeah, this is fun. Kevin Trott posted, good flirts. I'm enjoying getting to know you and I don't want it to stop. Better flirts, 
I'm trying so hard not to kiss you right now. Me flirting. Did you know each Thunderbird's puppet only had four teeth? <laughs> yeah. Maybe don't try that with a, as a, a chat-up line. Not sure you get very far with unusual, it. Unusual, unusual. <laughs> uh, Craig Walker posted, uh, My cracking find on eBay this week, a Corgi Spectrum saloon car in great condition. And I even got a 1993 SPV soap to go with it. Oh, yes. Retro. We love your bargain find. Very retro. Hugh Porter said, I absolutely love it when the postman comes along. I got a lot of Jerry Anderson products. They came today from the Jerry Anderson store and JB Hi-Fi, which is uh, the Australian entertainment store. I'm very happy and going to enjoy listening to the three soundtracks of my first audiobook and watching Space 1999. Hmm. Yeah. Good luck with that. Willow, winning there. Uh, a few days ago, yeah, posted it's the birthday of the voice master himself and friend of the podcast, Mark Silk. So go be nice to him, find him on Twitter and wish him a very happy birthday because he deserves it as he's absolutely awesome. Oh, no, I miss that. Oh, no. Yeah, well, <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Happy belated birthday to Mark Silk. Alex Pass uh, said, finishing off a re-listen of the excellent Big Finish audio reimagining of Breakaway. Anthony Blunt said, uh, from the post credit scene in today's pod, how about a reverse Joe 90 where a mad scientist goes around giving people the brain patterns of a nine-year-old boy? <laughs> yeah, that could work. Oh, havoc, <laughs> I think. Havoc would ensue. Yeah, that's right. And finally, for now, Miles Parrish says, yes, Podstrons, I'm working in the outback this week, looking forward to being accompanied by the soothing tones of Jamie, Richard and Chris when I drive 166 kilometres to the next town on Thursday. There's lots of red dirt in the footwell of my hire car already. Glad I'm not the one who'll be cleaning it. There, we're being listened to in the outback, Jamie. Red dirt makes you think of Mars, though. I like to think that we've got a a listener on Mars, maybe. Well, maybe one day. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) one day that'll happen. Yeah, if we carry on long enough. Yeah. All right. Well, let's keep going. Uh, and shout loud enough, too. Uh, Richard James, any more messages from yes. our Facebook group? Or shall I move on to yeah. some interviewee things? Yeah, that's it for now. We'll be heading over to Twitter and YouTube a little later on. Oh, good. Okay. Nice. Well, uh, while we wait for that, um, mm-hmm. let's focus our minds on Justin and Lindsay Lee. Justin yes. and Lindsay, as we've already discovered in the last two uh, podcast episodes, are fantastic puppeteers, creators, makers, writers, voice artists, performers. Goodness me. Um, what they can't do and don't know isn't worth knowing or doing. Doing and knowing. Yeah, yes. those things. Uh, now, I did notice we had a complaint last week, Richard James, that we were using <laughs> shorthand for some things in this interview. And so I saw that, people yes. People were struggling to follow the context. So, a few acronyms, yes. Let me say, if we say FIS... Mm-hmm. FIS is the documentary filmed in Super Mario Nation, which tells the document uh, tells the story rather of the Super Mario Nation era uh, yes. on which Justin and Lindsay worked. If gotcha. we say TB65, we mean Thunderbirds 1965, also known as Thunderbirds: The Anniversary Episodes, uh, uh-huh. which were made by Pod4 Films in 2015 and uh, produced the accompanying pictures to the soundtracks from the mini albums from the 1960s. Yes, um, I don't think there are any other. TLAs or uh, acronyms that we're using. Those are three-letter acronyms. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, I see, yeah. So everyone should be okay. But um, yes, sorry if you can't keep up with the context. Do pop back and have a little re-listen. But uh, generally, we're speaking about Justin Lindsay's love of all things 60s, all things puppets, filmed in Super Mario Nation, brackets FIS, Thunderbirds 1965, uh, brackets TB65, and uh, their new kids' show, Mikshi, 
which draws a lot of inspiration from Stingray and Thunderbirds and Fireball XL5 and has lots of models and cool stuff in it. Uh, and you can watch from the end of September on YouTube. So uh, we'll talk about yeah. all those things and more in part three with Justin and Lindsay Lee. Hey, okay. Uh, so you, you did all this painstaking work, which there must have been a sense of um, pressure to get all this right. But once you get to Slough... Mm the pressure ramps up a bit. So how does it feel getting started and like the first roll, you know, rolling camera for the first time on the first shot? Oh yeah. And actually rolling camera again, this is a maybe less interesting bit because it's not so Thunderbirdsy more technically technical, but we like Lindsay and I and Dave Hicks, our DOP, like we had to go to Aerie. You guys in Britain call it Aerie. We call it Ari here. And our Aerie was the same company that supplied the cameras for, your dad and his team in the 60s. They used Aeroflex cameras, uh, film cameras. And so we got an array, like, I'll be honest, you know, there was fan backing through Kickstarter for TB65, and there was also the fact that people love Thunderbirds. They love Thunderbirds. So we did, and, you know, huge credit to, to Stephen LaRiviere for he did a lot of kind of liaising with people like Aerie to get these arrangements done. So we, we, we got, like, you know, people donated stuff to us. We got, you know, mm. little deals. So we had a, a wonderful, I can't I remember, I'm not going to, I can't remember exactly what it was, but they were going to help us with equipment, Airy, for this for this project. And and um, I do believe their logo is at the end credits and it's, it's there for a reason. It's because they helped yeah. us. So we, like, even before we rolled camera, mm-hmm. you know, Lindsay, you and me and Hicks, uh, Dave Hicks, we went to Airy to, like, figure out what equipment we would need, which stuff we were they were going to loan us. Well, I think the biggest challenge in that sense was just the amount of light we needed. Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. in the 60s, shooting on film, shooting puppets on, you know, trying to create the look of things being bigger than they are, yeah. they needed as much light, like 10Ks, several 10Ks, like things that would like melt set pieces. If you really so watch Thunderbirds on Blu-ray, you'll see some things on fire on the set. Yeah, the because... lights were just that hot. Yeah. And I think when we when we went to Arian, we were like, give us all your lights. Right. <laughs> Every <laughs> last one. But of then them. this was the first hurdle, <laughs> yeah. is our building, which was an original Century 21 building. It was a, it was a Century 21 building that I don't believe they primarily <laughs> used to For shoot filming. in. They may have shot some of Thunderbird 6 in there. I can't, Again, Stephen might know better. Other fans might know better. But we were in one of the original buildings, but it was not electrically rated for the kinds of electrical requirements that they used on Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, as you said, Lindsay, tons of 10Ks. If you see mm. those behind-the-scenes pictures of the puppet set, like in Duchess Assignment, where you've got like all those people at the casino, they've got 10Ks, plural. 5Ks, 10Ks, huge hot lights that just blasted the set. Mm. So things that wouldn't be reflective reflected on those sets because they had so much light. So our big challenge was, I think the most we could have was a 5K. Now, if we made TB65 today with the advances in LED technology, we probably could have gotten even more light with the lower power consumption. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in that time, It's funny how much has changed. It's yeah, only been yeah, six yeah, years, yeah. but yeah. It wasn't nearly as common... It was you, there were LED lights, there were you know, fluorescent lights, there were all sorts of different lighting technologies. But we chose to go with, uh, you know, in 2015, and with tungsten fixtures, these hot, hot, hot tungsten fixtures that, that drew so much power. Did mm. we? I think we tripped the breaker. Oh yeah, we did. Oh yeah. Yeah. So and so Dave Hicks, our DOP, was constantly trying to get as much light on the set, get as much 
pull as much power off the, you know, the, the mains as he could. And then, you know, we rented this camera, the D21, which was the same camera that they used to shoot uh, Downton Abbey. So right before we'd used it, I think Downton Abbey had been shooting on it. And the reason why <laughs> it was such a great camera was because it was designed to emulate a film camera, a 35 millimeter film camera, even though it was digital. So it had a physical moving shutter in it, just like a, a film camera. And then we would, that's what we, we shot everything. We shot all the puppets on the D21, except for a few shots. And then we did everything else on the Alexa. So all the, mm. and, and, and again, any, speed stuff. yes, exactly. Anybody who works in the film industry who's listening or anyone who knows anything about the film industry, the, the Ari Alexa is a real mainstay in the industry. Like everybody shoots on it. And now the Alexa mini, it's a kind of the main go-to for a film camera. If you're doing a professional feature film, so we had access to an Alexa for all the, the high-speed stuff, as you said, Jamie, because the D21 could not shoot anything faster than 24 frames per second. Mm. So if we were shooting at 60 frames, or it wouldn't have been 60. It would have been uh, 72, 96, 120. I think that's as fast as it went. Yeah, I, I think so. we shot the mansion exploding at 120. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, and, that's, again, and that was also shot on the film, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that was also yeah. shot on mm-hmm. film. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Yes. I remember the, yeah. the pressure around that yeah. and the cries of speed we, yeah. and then <laughs> evacuating. Yeah, yeah yep, we yep. shot. Oh, the, there was two cameras that day. Yeah, but, um, yeah, and again, again, anyone who's listening who hasn't seen FIS or, or doesn't totally um, know this, anything that was done in miniature, like the Thunderbird launches, vehicles, all that stuff was shot at what they call high speed, which means they would shoot at higher than 24 frames per second. And then, and then play it back at 24 so that it looked like everything was happening slower, which gives the impression of... It, it, the, it, it just makes it... It makes the vehicle look heavy rather than sort mm-hmm. of a toy being pulled across the mm-hmm. screen. Yep. Um, wow. So, I mean, it, instantly huge technical adaptations uh, being made and also favor, pulling favors left, right, and center. Yeah. But once you got over those initial hurdles, getting into the actual production, I mean... You know, from the bits that I saw, again, echoing very closely those kind of early days of, you know, even Islet Park stuff where you were working all hours and stuff. So what what was the um, the kind of the atmosphere in your average day like on that shoot? Yeah, no, it, it, it totally mm-hmm. felt that way. I mean, it was just kind of I think once you get over the the sort of, you know, here we are, here are the tools, let's go. It was just... Like, I think from a, a perspective, puppeteering perspective, I remember mm. the first puppet shot yeah. we did. You do? I don't. Yes, <laughs> because I remember I had sweat <laughs> dripping into my oh, eyes. Oh, yeah, 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 Because yeah, yeah, yeah. at the time, like, you you know, it's funny, like, thinking about, you know, as we talked about with FIS, it's like you learn a bit about puppeteering there, and then you learn a bit more, and then you learn mm-hmm. a bit more, and by the end of TV65... You're like, I can't believe I ever thought this was a good idea. But I think the first <laughs> puppet shot we did was in the Tracy Lounge. And it was sort of our first time on the bridge, my mm-hmm. first time on the bridge. Yeah. And I was leaning over quite a ways over yeah. the, the rail. Um, our, our bridge, unfortunately, couldn't be mobile. And the original bridge was mobile. They had it on wheels. Our sets were mobile. They were. But it made it difficult it, because yeah. some of the sets were not on wheels. Some sets we built on the styrofoam polystyrene blocks and there was all sorts of difficulty about moving the bridge around so you couldn't so you know if you had to have a character be in a certain spot on the set like you as the puppeteer sort of had to put that character there Mm -hmm. but the difference between the first day of shooting and the last day of shooting is the first day like 
we were all just sort of getting our footing and, you know, mm-hmm. all of us were sort of figuring stuff out. Um, so I remember just holding, I think I was holding Alan, like leaning out on the bridge for, like, it felt it felt like hours. Yeah. It might have been more like 40 minutes, but just sort of in that same position, sweat dripping into my eyes. By, you know, by a couple of days or weeks into it, it's like, all of us got more used to being like, hey, I'm going to put the puppet down yeah, for a sec, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. or, or hey, puppeteers, you guys okay? Like, Just we give, can, you, give you a break. Give you, yeah. yeah. A bit of self-care. But, yeah. <laughs> but on, on day one, definitely, I mean, we're all so focused on just just figuring out how to start this, how to make this thing work, mm-hmm. um, you know, bringing all the skills that we had and, and then included, adapting that them. That included, like, preparing some of the puppets because yeah. we had to finish one of the hood heads. Mm. We had to really heavily rework Jeff Tracy's face. Yeah. We had to. So Lindsay and I did a lot of, and a lot of that was, you know, working with Barry and Richard, Barry Davies and Richard Gregory. And I remember we learned how to wig. We learned how to paint the faces. We learned. So one of the hoods, which I'm very proud of, because I think it, honestly, I, I would be discerning because, like, I grew up watching these characters, the angry hood head. Which unfortunately only shows up for five seconds, ten seconds in Abominable Snowman. It's when I can't even say that title. When the hood is, um, what is happens? He, he he's just hypnotized Lady Penelope, and he turns to the camera and he kind of has some kind of villainous monologue. We used the angry head there, and I swear, like I think we really got it close. Like it really looks like the angry face from the original show. Like you, you know, you did. The, I think Lindsay, you did the eyebrows, I did, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we we painted the lips, gave him a little bit of a five o'clock shadow, just a little bit. Villains right? always need a five yeah, o'clock shadow. Just a little bit. And because um, you don't want him to look like a baby face, right? Just a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Just, just like mine. Just like yours. Yeah. Um, As I said. Yeah, but there was so much of that leading up to it. Like I'm just flashing back to being on a cherry picker, one of the very first days we were there, and I was painting the windows on the ceiling so that sunlight wouldn't come in. I was painting it with black paint that we got at um be a nature. Yeah. What's Thank it called? You. Thank you. That's Thank it. You. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. By the way, yeah. here's a funny story for any Star Wars fans that are listening. We were making this at the same time they were shooting Rogue One. And every time we went to B&Q, oh, they don't have any more screws. Star they don't Wars have any bought more. them. Yeah. Star Wars bought everything because they were right <laughs> next door. They were shooting at some... You snooze, um, you lose, you know. Uh, Pinewood, I guess, right? It's a Pinewood, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they took every... Like, all the hardware in the store was missing. So we were constantly like, oh, we don't have enough screws, we don't have enough whatever, because Star Wars took all of it. So if you're wondering, yeah. like, you know... Yeah, no, but I, I definitely think, like, the atmosphere was, was very much one of just... It's kind of nice being on a set like this because, you know, having worked on on more like union sets, mm. um, mm. you know, you did work on a union I did, set. Yeah, yeah, I did um, in Canada. Um, it's sort of like, don't touch that. Don't, you know, this, this is my job. This is your yeah. job. You know, you stay in your box. Whereas much like um, the original crew of uh, early Jerry Anderson shows, yeah. all of us were sort of just able to, to do Whatever. a bunch of jobs yeah. because we all, hmm. we were so small. Um, anyone you know, we could were, mount the lens. Yeah, anyone could, yeah. you know, like we had a, oh, the dolly we were using oh, yeah. was an original AP Films dolly, the camera dolly, the dolly, which is, again, it's like a, it's a, a thing that you mount the camera to that can allow you to move in and out of the shot or move the camera up and down. It's, it's, that's what camera dolly allows you to do. We had a camera dolly that was used on Thunderbirds, actually. Because Brian Johnson had bought it off 
your dad when they yeah. closed the studios in 1960 was it nine 1969 yeah. yeah so he bought it i think he told us he bought it off your dad's or, or blue grade or whatever for like 50 quid or something it was like nothing <laughs> right then he went on brian johnson went on to work on alien uh, alien or aliens one of the aliens he used it on that he used it on empire strikes back he used it on like because he did all the effects work for for empire strikes back and i think what else did he work on tons of stuff brian johnson mm. didn't he work on uh 2001 Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, when he did that, he wasn't. He that was still the studio still had the, the right, yeah, Dolly, the right, before, before. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah. and then and then it kind of came full circle because then Brian lent it to us. We had this original camera dolly that to make the you know a lot of Thunderbird shots has the camera going up and down, right? It rises to, to see something or lowers the So of course it was the old school like had somebody cranking it. Because the dollies today are all hydro- hydraulic. Yeah, I think they're hydraulic. Yeah. So that you twist it and it just does it, you know, no effort. But you had we had to crank the thing. So it was full-on authentic, you know. like, And it gave that almost smooth but slightly wobbly look that, yeah, you know. Yeah, slight that, unevenness yeah. and right. slight wobble mm-hmm. that added authenticity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, well, so original tungsten, original dolly. Ori- original building and original, original crew building. members. With, Some original crew members, Mary, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Turner, yeah, yeah. Who, again, in, even though she was quite a bit older than us and had been doing this much longer than us, she went up and down that puppeteer ladder with no problem. Just like yeah. up and down, up and down, no problem. Amazing. Um, There's something kind of surreal about like being on the puppeteer bridge with Mary and the two of us <laughs> diagnosing a puppet problem right. together. It was because I, at the time I was doing it, I, w- I would have been around the same age she was in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like oh, this weird amazing. time warp of, you know, like very different generations of people, but working on the same problem. Right. I think we said at the, the time same it was like way. only so many people on this planet. Knew how to, like, yeah. When you say something like, oh, the puppet's head isn't turning properly. She, very few people on this earth would know for how the to super for, for puppet, that puppet, yeah. yeah, to yeah. diagnose that problem, and yeah. so that was kind of cool. And I was just thinking about the fact that it's so neat that by the end of production, if someone said to us, "String up this puppet with six foot wires," we go, "Okay, no problem." Yeah. Like it was mm. so. Yeah. I honestly remember it being so easy by the end. Like it's it's easy in the in the sense that like you're always going to take a bit of time to do it, and you have to be patient, but. It was so second nature. We didn't and have to think about it. And the way that we, because you were saying with FIS, you strung the puppet on the ground. Yeah. And, you know, here we were doing it on shorter wires. But the way we, we did it on TB65, how we learned to do it, was one of us would be on the set. So yeah. on where, where the puppet would be on the ground. The other person would be up on the bridge. And you would be passing the wire back and forth yeah. between people up and down. Which is, I believe, how they did it in the 60s. Yeah. It makes way more sense. Because then yeah. you get you get the accurate height. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the puppeteer is not having to raise their arm or lower their yeah. arm. I mean, as much yeah, there's slight variance, obviously. No, but, but I think the difference is the very first puppets we strung was Jeff and Alan. And when you held them, again, listeners can't see this, but like it was like two foot difference like yeah. in the controllers. By the end of doing Thunderbirds, they were all about the same height. And you could hold them comfortably off the bridge yeah. and actually perform them. And that was, you know. Yeah. Quite the journey from Mike Mercury and uh, stressing yeah. about it and doing it on the floor to then being like, yeah, yeah, just throw it up, no problem. Oh, yeah. Done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, was, it, 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 didn't, it didn't scare us one bit to like, oh, we have, oh, you know. And some, and here's the other thing about those, those puppet wires. Yes, they caused problems sometimes, but some puppets and some wires just were really good. I was so, actually just going to say oh, that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and funnily, because earlier we talked about, um, you know, the, some of the problems we had with stringing. Um, 
specific wires that would break, for example, Lady Penelope's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it was sort of, if anything was going to break, that was going to be it. And there's a reason why. And there's a reason why. And, and we figured Jamie's that out. And doing the puppet eye thing. I just saw you. <laughs> yeah. It's because, so again, eagle-eyed viewers, if you watch Thunderbirds uh, and, and before, the eye wires would come out of the sides of the head. And what that means is you're, you, it's actually making a 90-degree turn. It's going, like, horizontally out of the eye mechanism, then vertically up the side of their so head. So every time you move the eye, it's rubbing it's, yeah, in it's a 90-degree It's grinding at a 90-degree, like, back and forth, which just eventually destroys the tungsten wire. It's like a, mm. you know, metal coil, small metal coil. So by the time they got to Thunderbirds Argo, the feature film, not only were they doing under-control puppets, which, you know, are the ones that didn't have any legs that you controlled from below, mm. which just between us, I never thought looked particularly good. They always look like they have a back problem <laughs> because, like, their heads don't move properly, right? <laughs> but anyway, they didn't, have, they didn't have wires, so that, was the, that, that solved that problem. But the other thing was they, they started to change the eye mechanisms and heads so that they came out of the top and used a rocker. And that's the same me mechanism that they ended up carrying into... Captain Scarlet and beyond. Now, for our on authentic Thunderbirds recreation, whether people think we were absolutely mad to do this or not, we used the, the Thunderbirds system, the season one <laughs> system, which is 90-degree turn out of the head. And for Lady Penelope, who's got hair, hair. you know, a oh, hairstyle. It makes it hard. So every time it broke, we mm. had to take her hair off. Mm-hmm and then restring oh. it through the hair and put her hair back on. So just in case uh, some people might not know, so male and female puppets have different... The, the way the hair is applied is different. The so way for the the hair, the, What the hair is made of is what different. The hair is, yeah. So yeah, so, so the male puppets, is it's made of mohair. And what you do is you glue... You actually glue the hair onto the head. So mm -hmm. you have... The, the hatch that comes off um, that allows you to access the back of the puppet's head, that has hair glued onto mm -hmm. it. And then around that has hair glued onto it. So when you put the hatch back on, it looks like a unified head of hair. Whereas the females um, are actually human hair wigs. So they're, they're tied wigs. That's what it's called. It's when you do like a lace net. Uh, sorry, yeah, a net. Hmm. And then you tie, tie individual hairs onto this, this net. net yeah. Yep. So female heads do have a hatch as well that you pull off. But you. But there's you, no hair on that, right? Because yeah. you actually you, you take the full wig and you tape the wig down to the full head. So every mm. time you need to access the hatch, you have to unstick the hair, yeah. <laughs> lift it up on its wires, take the hatch off, and then put the hair back and hope that you remember exactly how you secured it yeah. <laughs> before. Because you could be in the literally in the middle of a shot. And so sometimes, <laughs> like we would get like the 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 eye wire on Lady Penelope, and again, this wasn't something. We knew production wasn't long enough to rejig this. And the thing is, sometimes you got lucky and it kind of lasted for several mm -hmm. days or more. But you would hope that if it was one eye wire, you could keep all the other head wires going through the wig, lift the wig up, fix that one eye wire with a new wire, and then put everything back. And then you would hope that when you move her eyes, her hair wouldn't move. Because you have to string it in a way that... It doesn't that tug the it wig. It doesn't tug the wig. Because yeah. then you, you have her... You know, she's looking side to side and you're like, wait, why is her hair moving? Yeah. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, so it was like <laughs> getting that perfect spot. But again, like some puppets were just good. And yeah. I think that's the thing. You can see in anyone who's looking at... Um, in, uh, old, what am I trying to say? Anyone who looks at original pictures of behind the scenes in the 60s, Thunderbird's original production, you can see those extras like, you know background character B who played a cop in one episode and is now playing a crook in this episode, you can see he's got his crook hat floating above his head. Mm. And you go, oh, 
he or did I say cop hat or crook hat? Crook hat. I meant to say cop hat. Yeah, so it's like, oh, he even though he's a crook in this episode, he still got his police officer hat above his head. So sometimes we had the same thing. Basically, the wires would last. On certain puppets, you would go for weeks mm-hmm. and the puppet would just stay on the same wires. I swear Parker was like this. Parker but because yeah. yeah, Parker did have a hat for um yeah. for the abominable snowman because he had a like a winter outfit. I'm not saying mm. the hats made made the wires stay any better. I'm just no, saying that no, no, no. it just but kind of was indicative of that... which puppet didn't get restrung. Yeah. But then there were <laughs> days and puppets. There was one day on introducing Thunderbirds, the one that I directed, we came in and it might have been a temperature shift in the building or something and all the puppets wires like went that's what i was going to say the interesting thing was that the temperature did seem to affect it and i don't know if if you know obviously in the 60s how they had you know 10k lights on these puppets maybe that helped i don't know but you know when it started getting um because we shot from i think it was august to sort of december so you know there was a a long season change during that time it got so cold it got so cold in there and that was when we started noticing all the wires going down yeah Mm. yeah but some puppets were good some puppets we liked Mm -hmm. better than others some puppets Gave us, I, I have this memory, you know, there's so, when you work with puppets, and you know this, Jamie, because you did your, your Firestorm mini-sode, right? And it's like, you're directing puppets, and you know what puppets are like, and you know what, what's involved. So it's not, when they go wrong, hopefully you're not going, ah, and you swear or something, you just go, oh. Because you know, you know it's going to do that thing. So there was a day, yeah. we had a few bald characters in our episodes. We had the hood, and we had... Dawkins, yep. is that his name? Dawkins, yeah. yeah. Dawkins, who's Mr. Charles's right One of the crooks man, right? in Stately Home yeah. Robberies. He was bald, which I thought was a wonderful choice by, I think it was Stephen Mansfield's choice, because Stephen Mansfield sculpted that face, and I think he decided he would be bald, right? And, and I did the wigging. And you and, did the wigging. And so for a bald character, what you have to do when you wig it is you have to actually, because if you don't cover that hatch area with plasticine, you'll see the hatch, right. which will look super weird. So you always have to put, and, and again, if you watch the original Thunderbirds and you see the hood walking around, mm-hmm. they painstakingly put plasticine over the joint of the back of the head and then painted Paint it, it to match. It. And yeah. if you watch the Mighty Adam, it's insanely good. It looks so good, right? Thing is though, those back strings, the, the two back wires that let you control the back of the head, they go around the back hatch. So if they happen to catch the wrong way or eat into the plasticine, if, yeah, if he looks up, if the puppet looks up too much, it starts to eat. So there was one day, I remember this, and Mary was on set with us. In fact, I think she was holding Dawkins. And you and I had spent all this time plasticining the, the join and painting it. And we gave it to Mary. And the exact thing happened where the wire just caught it the wrong way and the hatch just fell off. And I did a lot of plasticine. Yeah, I, I, I just remember. I remember we just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you yeah. know, it was like, oh. But and, you, know, you know, I had a perverse pleasure in plasticine. I don't know why. Yeah. I guess because you're, you're I'm, repairing. I'm sure an interesting confession, Lindsay. It, yeah, I, I'm I, sure I, you, I liked it. You must have still it. been like, oh, that took us like an hour to do, and now we have to do it again, right? I, yes, yes. I mean, And yes. I think Mary looked down, and she was like, oh. Yeah, we are like, oh, you know. She knows. Yeah, she knows that's the. How, that's what happens. You know? Wow. One puppet. Painstaking stuff. I was just going to say, Justin, because I could see time ticking away. Yes. yes. We, I think we're going to have to have you back to talk about more Thunderbird yes. stuff. You know what? We we can go till one o'clock if you, or till uh, six o'clock if you want. You sure? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're good. Yeah, we can do that. We're yeah. Good. But let's, that, that'll let's, be our let, let's yeah. keep let's keep rolling because yeah. um yeah. I'm, I'm okay, sure fine. people have heard mm-hmm. enough of this this puppet that puppet. But well, yeah. no, I was I was going to say aside from the puppetry stuff, can you remember the the biggest challenge? on the, the entire shoot across the three episodes and how it was solved or just something that sticks out across that period. Okay, biggest... Could, could be puppets. Biggest challenge. 
I mean, there were a lot of challenges because we were a team of, on a regular day, like upwards of 10 people, seven people, yeah. 11 people. So they had a team in the 60s of 100 plus, like 120 people at that studio. <laughs> now, I know they were shooting two episodes at once and yada, yada, yada. But, but basically, we were trying to do that with a very, very small team. So people slept in their cars people you know yeah. people like you know everyone threw so much into this and it was for the love of it and also because like we really didn't want to let the fans down we wanted to give them something great well i think there's something about recreation that adds an extra level of meticulousness that needs to be mm. there um that that does add a little more pressure um in yeah. terms of of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. because everything has to be filtered through the lens of is this accurate does this look, will this look like how it would have looked in the 60s? Right. Yeah. And, you know, the challenges of... And they in the 60s didn't... Oh, and what I'm trying to say is the, the Thunderbirds had two sets of puppets. If you really stare at them, I did that, that little photo series called, was it The Many Faces Of? And I did all the different characters. And you can see they're not the same, right? Alan Tracy from one stage, the Alan Tracy from the other stage. So they had trouble getting it exactly the same. And so making decisions about which thing we were going to emulate, how to emulate something in a way that a fan would look at it and go, yeah, that looks like that. Right. From a filmmaking, from a standpoint, filmmaking standpoint, from a, you know, from a, yeah, from, uh, from a and recreation even, standpoint. like materials that were available in the 60s or items that were available in the 60s that just were not available in mm -hmm. 2015 and, you mm -hmm. know, finding the closest next best thing. Mm -hmm. the, um, the, the pyro that we did. So we had mm -hmm. um, Malcolm Smith was our lovely pyro man. He, uh, he had a, it was he, he brought all his pyro gear and he blew stuff up for us yep. and he um, had to concoct new ways of doing jets for landing explosions stuff like that because he said some of the things they use in the 60s are illegal now so yeah. he came up with different <laughs> ways to do it so hopefully it looked similar mm -hmm. or as close as you know certainly it was as close as we could get it but. there was a lot of trial and error um, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. stuff like that. And speaking of pyro, I guess I guess maybe the thing that does stand out the most, as we I think we've mentioned this already, is is the the mansion blowing up because oh, yeah. because so David Tremont he probably talked about this um, had to like he did, did he, David talk to you about the, the mansion he, he did okay mention so this, it was brick but, uh, by yeah. brick right that yeah, he built brick it. by brick yeah. um, and for the sole purpose of of blowing up mm -hmm. and so you know, yeah as a model maker that's sort of the the relationship you have with with the stuff you make <laughs> you're like I'm making this to be destroyed right. in a few you, minutes you know what it's for yes yeah. but you know obviously with you know because we were because it was sort of like a one chance thing to yeah. get it right and and um, Malcolm had put these um they were like again I'm not a pyro person so I don't know the technical term balloons they looked like balloons full of explosives yeah and and it's thank god none of them like popped out or something cuz like you if you watch that shot of the mansion exploding which in real time was like a blink of an yeah. eye right yeah. but Malcolm had it set so it went off left to right through the house we all evacuated so the only people in there Boyd the camera operator who was doing the film camera uh, Malcolm, Stephen, uh, maybe Tremont was in there. I yeah, think he Dave was, was yeah. in there. He, he was stood in there, behind yeah. a polystyrene block, I think. Right, yeah. right. And then yeah. everybody else got outside. Everybody else got outside. And we went outside and we were standing on the asphalt outside the building and we felt the boom, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we went back in. And this was actually something just en endemic to like any explosion or effects work. Because we didn't have two separate stages like they did in the 60s, which was like the, in the original 60s building, they had a wall that separated Derek Metting's unit from the puppet unit. 
we didn't have a wall. So anytime we blew stuff up, the puppets would get like every, Filthy. you know, the Tracy lounge would be covered, covered in soot. Covered in you know? soot. So, it would smell. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we we got to like, obviously, and you can see this in the 60s pictures as well, they would put bags over the puppets. And so we just started doing that as well. Every night. Yeah, but still the sets got dirty. dirty. The, you know, vehicles got <laughs> dirty. Um, everything got dirty. It was a very dirty place. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, that's, that, you know. At the end of that, then all that, all that, all that, those challenges kind of try, trying to match it to the original and the pressure of being such a tiny crew and doing it on such a tiny budget. And then at the end, seeing it all come together. How was that process then of bringing it together? Because I know, Justin, you were heavily involved in kind of putting all the finishing touches together. Certainly, I believe a lot of editing as well and all, a whole a whole load of stuff. How did that feel seeing your final work coming together? And were there any things that you thought, ah, oh, we should have done that differently? Uh, we should have done that always, better. Of course, of, course, yeah. you, of course you guys are going to say that. No, I mean, like, I think that's the thing. It's, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? Is that like when you finish a project, if you've grown as an artist, as a technician, as a filmmaker, you're going to look back and go, oh, what if we'd done this? What if we'd done that? Yeah. And I, and there's everything, everything. But, but it's, <laughs> it, that's why it's a double-edged sword is because it means you've grown. But it's kind of painful because you can't, you know, and I'm, we're not going to George Lucas this. We're not going to go back and fix things like it is a product of its time <laughs> the same way that the original episodes are products of their time. We love parts of the original that are imperfect. Like there's something nice yeah. about knowing that it was all made by hand and that's that's how it came to be, you know. So um, but no, everything like there's so many things again, like my direction on the on the introducing Thunderbirds episode, I would have done things differently. Um, we would have framed stuff differently. We would have done puppet stuff differently. I would definitely have advocated to do the eye mechanisms differently. Like so many <laughs> things, but we couldn't have got there without going through it. Yeah. You know, of course. so the process. yeah. And yeah. seeing the final product, I mean, sometimes I think it's hard to when you've been so closely attached to something. So you know, in our case, because Justin did do the the post production. You know, seeing the the iterations go through and seeing all the different versions, and then when you get to the theater with everybody else who've never seen it before, mm-hmm. mm. it's, <laughs> I, I'm still like this with stuff we make today. I'm like, wait, which version is that? Like, what? Oh, oh yeah. but that that shot's in there. Oh yeah, I forgot right. about you know. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you you actually end up having sort of a fresh experience, um, mm. consuming the content in that way, and I think actually, kind of most the most special thing I think was just seeing other people, fans, react to it. it. And, you know, and you think, wow, like, this is something that we made sometimes at two in the morning, you know, all covered in polystyrene and (laughs) such. And, you know, like, none of that, (laughs) the fans don't know any of this. And they don't need to know And they don't need to know, because because here it is, this final product that is just, it's its own living, breathing thing, and Mm -hmm. I think that's just the cool thing about making anything. And I am, you know what, there's a lot of things I would do differently, but the one... When I started planning out introducing Thunderbirds, which I know is a glorified clip show, I know it is. But look, I tried to. That's why it was like I was like, I gotta. Hell on new stuff. Yeah, I got to make it. I have to make it as interesting from a performance puppet performance place as possible because there's really nothing else going for it. It doesn't have like a big heist or explosion or whatever. But mm. I hope this will speak to some fans. Actually, I did read. Um, Jack Knoll, who lovely Jack Knoll, you know Jack Knoll. Yeah. Jack Knoll, yeah, um, he works with you. Jack Knoll um, uh, wrote a really nice review of all our episodes, and I think he wrote something about introducing Thunderbirds that was like totally 
what I had been thinking of, which was I said, I want it was not in the mini album, of course, because it wasn't visual. But I was like, I want the last picture for them to be for it to be them putting up Lady Penelope's portrait on the wall. That's what I wanted. And I was like, let's have a big kind of celebratory montage of all the vehicles flying with the brothers flying as if it's like the adventure is just about to begin. That's what I wanted Mm -hmm. to do. Right. And I was so happy with the fact that we got to do that. And everybody, I remember when we filmed that, everyone was kind of like, I, this is my memory. Everyone was gung ho, you know, all the puppeteers and we did this camera move where the camera swivels around from the three characters looking at the thing and all the, vehicles were flying and through stock footage but you know and and we had the, the the fanfare going and you know the last shot is the portrait up and i was just like so happy with that i just thought it was really kind of the right way to go out on that one but no a lovely choice goodness <sighs> me that was part three wow. with justin and Lindsay lee yeah yeah i was yeah. trying to keep rhyming but thanks for eroding my flow oh i see oh never I mind um silly me it's <laughs> Nice. Thank you for yeah. saving so, it there. there very go. good. Just uh, rescued it. Justin Lindsay's show, Meek She, is available on YouTube very, very soon. Please pop along to gazelleautomations.com to learn more. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E-A-U-T-O-M-A-T-I-O-N-S.com. Yeah. <laughs> Catchy. Uh, yeah. Gazelleautomations.com, which is their production company. Uh, part four with Justin Lindsay, rounding everything up next week. But um, I could have spoken to them for hours. They're fascinating. I hope you're Fantastic. learning lots and sort of just feeling the pure passion that they exude for all things puppetry, all things Anderson, all things practical. They yeah. are brilliant and so lovely. Thank you, Justin Lindsay. Back with you for your last part next week. Wonderful. Now, talking of acronyms, can I share with you my favourite acronym from my time filming Space Precinct? Is back it in rude? The, uh, 1990s. Well, uh, what a, when we were setting up to do a shot and it was decided that actually no 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 this isn't the way to do it we need to do it another way we need to put the cameras over there uh the uh, the first assistant director would shout dfi that dfi meaning different flipping idea <laughs> except it wasn't flipping <laughs> but i like that <laughs> it's nice. good isn't it uh, well yeah. i can tell you that uh, hashtag mummy a's um favorite acronym is yes. kbs kbs meaning um kick um something and scramble which is (laughs) get a move on basically hurry 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 (laughs) that's right yeah exactly not that she'd ever say anything uh naughty like that you know no heaven forbid no uh do share with us your favorite acronyms podstrong send them into uh jerry anderson at podcast i don't podcast at jerryanderson.com uh they can be as rude as you want we'll try and clean them up uh they can be jerry (laughs) anderson related or just uh you know something you use in your everyday life let us know what happens if you email jerry anderson at podcast.com yeah i've no idea do try let us know and then uh, email us your uh, results to podcast at jerryanderson.com we'd love to know uh, meanwhile over on twitter uh, rob charles uh, responded to uh, official jerry anderson's post about the top secret international rescue agents notebook coming oh, yes. out soon uh, saying dear father christmas could i add this to my list mm. yeah that's a plan, isn't it? Gap Stargate tweeted, I'm so happy I got uh, one of the Space 1999 Technical Manual Special Editions before it sold out. Uh, yeah, quite a few of these. Brandon definitely had to get the Special Edition of the new Space 1999 Moonbase Alpha Technical Operations Manual. Awesome. Happy Breakaway Day. Yep, Michael Bolton. Uh, OMG, I've ordered the Special Limited Edition and I am so excited. <laughs> it's all those O's there. <laughs> That's some uh, serious O-age. Yeah, uh, as you said earlier, though, Jamie, if you didn't manage to get hold of the uh, special edition or it was just a little bit too pricey for your pocket, which is it's fair not enough, for everyone. You've, 
No, you've still got reason to be excited because you could still get the... I mean, calling it a standard edition is doing it a bit of a disservice because in and of itself, it's still a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's still available to pre-order. Nice. Uh, David Monday says, On Monday, September 13th, 1999, the, mo- the moon was blasted out of Earth's orbit. The rest is history. Jerry Anderson's Space 1999 will always be one of the best sci-fi hidden gems, a formative show in my life, and one I'll never grow tired of. Uh, this is David Monday, a previous guest, of course, and friend of the podcast. He says, Anyone else love it as much as me? To which Lost in Transition responded, Yes, indeed. Jerry Anderson created so much joy, and I'm glad that Jamie Anderson is carrying on with a legacy. Patrick James uh, said, My favourite programme as a kid. Jeff Zugail said, I like it a lot. FPL Ron Manager tweeted, I remember watching Space 1999 back in the day. It's kind of amazing to be more than 20 years beyond the year it was set. Quite a few well-known people like Martin Landau and Ian McShane are in it. Paul Hanley Jr. responded, Season 1, as great as sci-fi TV gets. Cough, Dragon's Domain. Cough. Season 2, less so. No Barry Gray, no Barry Morse, and a precipitous drop in quality only equalled by NBC's Heroes epochal decline from the middle of season three until its merciful end a year later. (laughs) There you go. Don't sit on the fence. So lots of excitement about Space 1999 last week, as you can imagine, with Breakaway Day and the release of the uh, Technical Operations Manual. It's lovely, isn't it, to shine a spotlight on uh, what may be considered a bit of a forgotten gem, only to see that it's not been forgotten at all. Well, it's not forgotten. People love it still. Um, and yeah. I even... Let me just uh, do a little name drop here. It's not really a name yes. drop. It's a name drop by proxy. But I had an email from uh, a chum of mine who um, works very closely with uh, Mr. William Shatner. Ah, Saying yes. that that very morning... On December, on December, on September the thirteenth, that he and Mr. Shatner had had a very fond conversation about Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. Well, there you go. So there you go. Kirk himself is a Space Nineteen Ninety Nine fan. Now, Richard James, just mentioning Ian McShane there, yeah, and Space in Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. I couldn't help myself but immediately be reminded of Ian McShane's possibly best known nineteen eighties nineteen nineties series in the UK, Lovejoy. Oh yeah, I remember Lovejoy. That got me thinking. Right. (laughs) Probably shouldn't go down this train of thought, but it's too late yes. now. Here we are. Uh, go on. Potstrons. Bearing in mind how many fantastic guest stars there were, <gasps> can you come up with some interesting Space 1999 and guest star best thing they were known for crossover ideas like hey. Lovejoy 1999. <laughs> <laughs> ah, great. I, I don't know precisely what the plot oh, of this thing would be. Well, that's, but, no, that's when his <laughs> antique shop was blown out of Earth's orbit. <laughs> I yeah, like he's it. left roaming the galaxy it trying to sell happen. antiques to aliens. Yes, so if you can yes. think of anything that uh, the crossover would be for Christopher Lee or Brian yeah. Blessed yeah. or Joan Collins or any of those, Love do it. email us in. I don't know why, but you might want to now, to podcast <laughs> at Anderson com and i really want chris dale to want to do one of his mickey take uh intros with the space 1999 this episode thing and clips of yeah. love joy is that oh, weird i feel yeah, very that's weird nice. today yeah that's good <sighs> uh, i paid good money to see that okay oh well that idea seems to have perked chris oh, out of his oh, yes. meditative state you're right look he's coming round. i have to say he does Hi. look very zen and peaceful doesn't he wonderfully refreshed it's yes. taken years off you Chris not that you had that many it years really to has. be taken off but uh, <laughs> yeah you're looking great uh, now, don't, he's, he's trying to put on the finger symbols Chris don't do that yeah, it's time no, you do the randomizer you can't press the big red yeah. button with those on uh, no. so look Chris is here 
fresh from meditation to press the big red button on the randomizer, choosing a random Jerry Anson episode, which he'll watch, possibly enjoy, maybe not, depending on what it is, mm, uh, but at least yeah. he'll give us his amusing and insightful comments throughout. Chris, it's over to you. Florence found Dougal in the garden. He was examining a strange machine. Hello, Dougal, said Florence. What's that you've got there? It's a diabolical liberty, that's what it is, declared Dougal. I beg your pardon, asked Florence. Some bedraggled buffoon and his silent associate have dumped this piece of technology in my lap, so to speak. I ask you, I've a good mind to write to somebody important. Do you know somebody important? asked Florence. Morning all, said Bran. Oh, evidently not, said Dougal, as he went back to fussing with the machine. Oh, that looks interesting, said Bran. What is it? That, said Dougal huffily, is the pinnacle of precision engineering, the Savile Row suit of cybernetic success, the creme de la creme of creativity. Ah, what is it? repeated Bran. Dougal looked from Bran to the machine and then back again. I'll have you know that it is a, a great honour to have been asked to operate it, he said proudly. Oh, well, say no more, said Bran, in a tone of voice that suggested he had a great deal more to say. Just then, Ermintrude arrived. She didn't have to be here, but I want to do the voice. Hello, darlings, said Ermintrude. Oh, dear, that's all we needed, exclaimed Dougal. The brainiest bovine to ever put on a blue hat. Have I come at a bad time? asked Ermintrude. No, not at all, replied Brian. You're about to witness the master at work. Dougal pretended not to hear him. At work doing what? asked Ermintrude. I'm not sure we've established that yet, observed Florence. He seems to be having some difficulty turning it on. Zebedee arrived. As I understand it, he said, you just press the red button and wait for the printout. Yes, thank you, Professor Einstein. And would you mind telling me which button is the red one? That's right, said Bran. Dogs are colorblind, so how's he supposed to tell? I hate to be pedantic, said Florence, but there is only one button. Everyone looked at Dougal. Dougal tried his hardest not to look at them. I'll have you know, said Dougal, that that is a fallacy. Ooh, steady on, said Brian. You haven't even seen the printout yet. Dougal retrieved the printout. What does it say? asked Florence. Dougal looked like he was about to be sick. Torchy the battery boy, Torchy's birthday, he announced, to no one in particular. Ermintrude, Brian and Zebedee promptly made their excuses and then left. Dougal stared at the printout as if willing it to become something else. Some people just don't appreciate culture, he said haughtily, before he too made a hasty departure in the opposite direction. Oh dear, said Florence, and it had promised to be such a lovely day too. Aww. 
Hello, everyone. I have been persuaded to stay. Because after all, I wouldn't want to miss Torchy's birthday. I mean, who would? It's bound to be uh, an event to remember. This is the uh, final episode, indeed, of the uh, first series of Torchy. Um, not the last episode ever made, unfortunately, but of course we're not touching those. ...in Frutar. Flopsy, Squish and Pom-Pom were planning a surprise. Ooh, good or bad? The cave in the far mountain, oh. Whirly and Sparky and Gilly-Golly were also planning a surprise. Is this the same surprise or a different surprise? Is it a good surprise or a Wait murder? Wait face. I could wait forever to not see Torchy's face. Let's go and ask King Dithers. Oh yeah, that'll work. King Dithers, well-known, uh, decisive man of action. It's wonderful. <laughs> It'll be the best surprise we've ever had on Topsy Turvy Land. <laughs> I do hope that everyone is not talking about the same thing. That would be a lovely twist. Can you do it for me? Uh, I mean, uh, can I do for you? <laughs> we wanted to know what you were going to get Torchy, Your Majesty. Oh, there's that donkey again. That's Daffy the donkey, isn't it? Last seen her attempting to drown bad boy Bogey. It's Torchy's birthday. The puppet seems to have deteriorated since we last saw him. Gracious. Is he going to have a party? Of course he is. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Torchy has a birthday. Torchy was not born as such. Torchy was, uh... Aww. Was created. Was, uh... Dragged into the world by an insane elderly man. Whirly, go to Fruitown and find. I, I I question the the idea that Torchy was born. I'm going to give it to him. <laughs> Abominations are not born; they are created. All the toys are talking to each other today, and none of them are talking to me. Oh, good! You finally got the message. Secret, and they're not going to tell me what it is. Oh, didums! Why, that sounds like Whirly the humming top. Hello, Torchy. I've just spun hmm. here to see you. To say that we don't want you around and we're having lots of fun without you. All the toys are busy with a secret and they won't tell me what it is. Oh, really? Well, don't you worry your head about it, Torchy. I Speaking can't... of heads, um, Whirly... That is his name, isn't it? Oh, I can't keep track of these creatures. It almost looks to me like Whirly's head is um, possibly a human head that's been grafted onto that spinning top. It does look like two different things that have been sort of grafted into one terrible moustached hybrid. Topsy Turvyland, who hasn't got a special friend of his own? Oh, Diddums, the show is named after you. Get over yourself. More than anything in the world, I wish, I wish I had a little brother to play with. Is that what you wish? Yes, it is. Uninformed Satan! Going. I've got work to do. Can't you stay and have a game with me? No time now, no time now. See you later. But this is a nice opening to the episode, actually. Everyone treating Torchy uh, the way he deserves to be treated, quite frankly. The way I would treat him if I was stuck on Topsy-Turvy Land. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm bracing myself for a, a song. So let's not give it to him! What is it? Hmm? A little brother to play with. Oh, 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 can do, can do. By himself. Dear, dear, dear. 
dear. This is very awkward. <laughs> dear. Steal a child from Earth. I give you the authority. Fly down in the rocket and, and ask Mr. Bumbledrop to help me. Wait, don't you have any children in your dungeons? Any of the multiple children you've abducted from Earth that could uh, serve this function? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am clever, aren't I? <laughs> You'll have to call me King Clever. <laughs> hmm. Quickly, let's go out of the rocket at once. Well, I like that Torchy isn't so much the focus. I like that, actually, that we're getting a, a lot of the other characters showing up this week. That we want a brother for Torchy. Unfortunately, as there's still about half of them I haven't actually seen the introductions of. You've forgotten something very important. Like this, um, big-beaked fellow here. On Topsy-Turvy Land, all the animals can talk and all the toys can walk. But when you get down to Earth, you'll just be a stuffed toy. Oh, good what a shame. Gracious. Let's scrap the whole birthday party thing, then. Whatever can we do now? We require a living creature with a soul. And that is Pom Pom. Ah, we have one. Pom Pom won't be able to talk either. Yeah, but she is alive. But she can buck, and I'm sure she'll be able to tell Mr. Bumbledrop what I want. Couldn't you just stick a note in the rocket? And I'll go and get Pom Pom. Saying the annoying little squirt wants a friend. Please cook up another unholy abomination. Toot sweet. Meanwhile, Pom Pom. Um, I want to talk to you first, Pom Pom. Let's put some sort of bonnet on her head. What do you want? Whirly whispered in Pom Pom's ear. She's got a lot of strings, Pom Pom. Excitement. Very visible, but then it, it is quite nice when you see the ears lifting the way they do. <laughs> I'll go down to Earth right away. Oh, that's nice of. Aww. Fancy a pudding flying a rocket. Okay, this whole episode is worth it just to see Pom Pom at the controls of the rocket. Look at the stars flashing by. I, I, I'll soon be down to Earth. <laughs> yep. A poodle flying a rocket, that's, um... Well, drop be surprised to see me. Well, at the moment, she's, like, a uh, more competent than about 75% of the world's space patrol. No crashes, no explosions, no sudden fires, no space monkeys. Pom-pom, come in. Ah. Now we're in Bumbledrop's bedroom. A den of iniquity, if ever there was one. Oh, uh, why, how splendiferous. I sleep with my eyes open, by the way. <laughs> Have you brought Torchy with you? Oh, good. Oh, what a pity. Yes, come up onto my bed and lie next to me. Ah, uh, of course, this is where we found the characters in the very first episode they were curled up in bed together. Huh? What do you want? Huh? Oh. Well, why do you want me to go into the sitting room? Eh? Have you got something there to show me? Or is there something else I can plant my bottom on and just fall asleep? I'd better do as you say, or you won't let me sleep. <laughs> That's why I married you, after all. Oh, they have the same painting in the front room as, they, as Bumbledrop does in his bedroom. So, Pom-Pom is barking at, uh... Um, what do you want to show me? Oh, dear. Huh? Oh, <laughs> I don't keep any dog biscuits in there. Bumbledrop is casting quite a, uh, quite an imposing shadow on the wall. Wax that I had left over after I'd made them. <laughs> it's, um, it looks rather monstrous, almost like a sort of spitting image puppet, that silhouette on the wall. Pum, pum. 
Oh. Well, I never. Do you want me to make another little toy who can walk? Oh, God, no. <laughs> well, why ever didn't you say so? Or... Yeah, it would have been much more helpful if they just stuck a note in the rocket. <laughs> oh, my goodness, what a temper. All right, then. I'll make another little boy right away. No. Clock chimed one. Mr. Bumbledrop started to make a toy, and Pom Pom watched carefully. Chuckling with glee as the evil creature slowly began to take shape. Oh, I like the uh, the pads on, on Pom-Pom's uh, paws there. That's quite sweet. Oh, it was finished. And the world began to weep rivers of blood. I've made a toy. <laughs> now, now, where is its soul? What do you want me to do with it? Throw it on the fire. You have a fire, throw it on the fire. You want to take it up to Topsy Turvy Land? <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yes, that checks out. Yes. I'll uh... have to come up with an excuse as to why I can't come. Hooray! <laughs> the rocket's away! Yay! <laughs> oh, he's actually gone to Topsy Turvy Land. My goodness, I never thought I'd see that. Now we know it's the final episode. Big moment for Bumbledrop to actually get up off his backside and actually do something. Flopsy baked the cakes in King Dither's kitchen. Mr. Bumbledrop seems instantly accepting of Topsy Turvy Land and all its occupants. We must have a special birthday cake for Torchy. Oh, yes. yes. We'll put the surprise inside. Oh. A chainsaw and an electric drill. Oh, I'm hungry already. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll go and get the toy I made. <sighs> yes, and I'll fetch Torchy here. Oh, the toy you made, which is now presumably a living being. King Dillers fetched Torchy in his coach, Ooh, and all the toys nice. followed behind. Oh, yes, the uh, fox woman and uh, Pillywick the clown, Squish the spaceman, oh, the gollywog, and the uh, dragon thing. There was the birthday cake on the table. Well, it looks good enough to um, not eat. You, Mr. Bumbledrop! Ah, well, I came up here because it's your birthday. I wouldn't come any other reason. Birthday? Why, I've forgotten all about it! Oh, yeah, of course you had, of course you had, yeah. Correct. Well done, clever boy. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm not so sure. We've brought several sacrifices. Here's a knife. Day cake and see. All right. Ah, this is nice music. Close-ups of all our terror. Oh my goodness, they've given him a knife. They've given him a knife and he is plunging it into the cake like... Well, it is... It is Chucky. It is the... It's not the the slicing of a cake. It is the stabbing of a serial killer, as all his, well, I was going to say friends, but it's more uh, accomplices, cohorts in hell. Watch this uh, mo most splendiferous sight, and it reveals. Hello, Torchy. Oh no. Your new brother. You look exactly like me. I should hope so. Mr. Bumblebee uh, made me last night, and I'm going to live here and play with you forever 
and Emma. <laughs> you, me, and this knife. Cheers for Torchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three cheers for Torchy and his uh, new pet mini-me. Oh, everyone's getting a close-up. Oh, dear. Well, that was... um. Yeah, well, you know, as Torchy episodes go... That was... That, I, I suspect that was one of the better ones. Admittedly, it's a very low bar to, to achieve. I think the fact that uh, Torchy wasn't in it all that much kind of helped. But, uh, oh my goodness, it just brings up so many of those unsettling questions around this show regarding the toys and souls. And the fact that Torchy ultimately ends up with a, a mini-me clone of himself. That was the one thing he wanted more than anything in the world was another one of himself to be his friend forever and ever very disturbing um i gather that the uh, the series two episodes kind of fit in around the existing series one episode so whatever way you look at it this is the series finale um i don't believe the uh, the mini me torchy ever appeared again after that which is uh, probably quite a, a good thing for all concerned we don't want to really know what those two got up together for the rest of their eternity on topsy-turvy land oh dear well, I did say he might yeah. enjoy it or might not enjoy it. <laughs> you did. And that was fair warning, I suppose. Yeah. 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 I mean, Torchy. He's just so blooming sinister, isn't he? Torchy. Well, not no, Chris. Well. Yeah, not Chris. No, no, no. Chris is lovely. Although he can be quite sinister. If he when goes he giving you evils, then it yeah. is a bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Dark. It is, isn't it? Fair. Yeah. Ah, Chris good. will be back next week with hopefully not more Torchy. We'll have to wait and see. Mm, but you never know. It could be because it's random. You're absolutely know. right. It's it entirely is random. It is yeah. entirely, entirely random. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Richard no. James, go, go on. You've yes. got stuff, have you? Is it from Twitter? Well, no, it's just from quickly. Somewhere else. It's go, uh, head on over to our YouTube channel YouTube, just before we wrap it. up because people do tend to comment on our uh, videos of the podcast, which is great, of course. Uh, Tom Senior after Pod 170 said, what a wonderful episode. There's such a lively, energetic, celebratory feeling going on because it's breakaway day, as it was then. Uh, he says, I really, really enjoyed this episode. As a fan of Space 1999, since it was first aired in 1975, I was absorbed throughout. Thank you, guys. Uh, Peace Mika Dan posted, hi, Jamie Richard. Back in the early 1980s, when I was in my early 20s, I took part in an episode of a TV show called Game for a Laugh. Mm. It's a long story behind how I got there, but during the recording session, I had to go backstage with a group of other young people to get dressed into costumes. Right? Mm. Uh, he says, when I got backstage, I met Windsor Davis dressed in his Sergeant Major's uniform, and with him was John Pertwee dressed as Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> I remember that they were very nice people, and joking around with us, they put us all at our ease. I do treasure the memory of that time, both as a guest on that popular show, but especially meeting these two icons of television. Yeah, quite Ooh, right. What Love pairing. That. Keith Gooch says, another great episode of the Jerry Anderson podcast, which for Breakaway Day was mostly Space 1999 oriented. Interesting fab facts about Barry Morse's departure from Space 1999. Uh, great second part of the interview with Justin and uh, Lindsay Lee, which seemed longer than the norm, but was fascinating to listen to, and nice that Mary Turner and Richard Gregory get a mention. Uh, best part of the episode was Chris Dale's randomised review of the Thunderbird story, Edge of Impact. Keep up the good work, chaps. Just had a thought, says Keith. Was the 13th of September chosen as breakaway day because it's Barbara Bain's birthday? Barbara oh, Bain's birthday, which is, is, is... It's not the same day as the Battle of the Boyne, is it? <laughs> I can't remember. Um, I don't know, you see, because I, th yeah. I thought that this was all penned prior to her... Casting. casting yes but it'd be very easy just to change the date in her honor wouldn't it in a in a shooting script yeah. well should we say canon. it was in her honor just say yeah let's 
say that. Yeah, yeah. that's why. She, she, she might even know herself. Yeah, that's right. Beneath our uh, video of the last Fab Facts detailing how Barry Morse was let go mm. from uh, Space 1999 between seasons one and two, Super G50 Zero, which sounds like a Jerry Anderson craft in itself, said, uh, I would have loved to see Maya and Victor interacting with each other on the show. They would have spent a lot of time together, maybe Bergman becoming her mentor. It sucks what happened to Barry, and I'm sure he was disappointed about the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely sure understandable. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure yeah. he he liked what he was able to do there. Although you know, there's always yeah. difficulties making TV shows, aren't there? But that's true. Yeah. Uh, John Mathias posted: Barry Morse lived here in southern Ontario for a long time. Is it Ontario or Ontario? Uh, let's call yes. the whole thing off. Let's do that. Uh, he seemed to be a, a regular star at the Grand Theatre and Stratford, of course. He had a reputation for being both very kind and very professional and uh, worked with a number of charities. I think Bergman was everyone's favourite character in the first series. I never really warmed up the uh, warmed up to the show's American stars. Freddie was an example that's Freddie uh, Freiberger was an example of the meddling US studio executive who believes all evidence to the contrary that he knows the secret to making a hit series. Mm. Your thoughts there? Uh, Leo de Grant says, I preferred and still prefer series two. That's something we don't hear very often. Mm. Yes, yeah. he says it I was reckon much five more to 10% a... might say that. Actually. Right. Yeah, still Leo says it's much more of a family show, whilst the slower pace of series one episodes made them dull for younger viewers. Also, he says series one failed to deliver on one of its promises, which was an account uh, of how the human race was spread across the stars. For that reason, I prefer the explanation that Victor, Tanya, Paul, uh, and Dr. Kano or Kano? Kano. Sorry, yeah. don't know which Kano. Were all part of an Alphan colony, which, had the series been deemed a commercial success, could have been reintroduced in series three. Mm. And finally, Stolen Eyes on a similar theme says, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, there is no second season. Right. As for dear Professor Bergman, I would like to think he was happily stranded on a planet together with the other characters that Fred Freiberger senselessly cut from the show. Yeah. All nice Strong thoughts. opinions. Yeah, yeah really nice. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we, love a, we love an odd strong opinion, don't we? Well, we do. And, you know, there, there it is in a nutshell. Someone saying that actually for them, season two is the stronger of the uh, uh, Space 1999 series. And uh, someone else saying, well, as far as I'm concerned, there is no second season. Exactly. It's a bit like those Each who virtually have a shrine to Joe 90, uh, whereas I yeah. have a voodoo doll. So... Yeah, yes, that's true. Oh, it's rather like uh, you know the vast majority of people who actually enjoy listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast, <laughs> and the very, very tiny, small, almost vanishing minority who couldn't give a stuff. Yes, well, they won't know about us talking about them because they will have <laughs> given their stuff long ago yeah, or not given they it. Pretty would. Oh dear. Yes. Anyway, look, <laughs> this feels like it's been quite a long one. Well, all right. Sorry about that. No, I'm not. It's not your fault. I mean, it's my oh, fault okay. for that long news I mean, thing. Exactly. Yeah, and all the faffing in between. Can you believe that little mm. Winnie the puppy has slept oh, throughout yeah. this entire recording? Yes, we haven't had a single contribution from Winnie, have we? She's fast asleep. I'm so sorry yeah. that she hasn't been involved. Uh, maybe yes. next week she'll get up and say hello and uh, get on and the maybe. mic for you. But oh. for now, should we let mm. her sleep? Yeah. I might join her, actually. Uh, All right. If you'd like to send us any thoughts, uh, congratulations on my new puppy or anything else, email us podcast at jerryanson.com. Please do rate, review and all that good stuff and subscribe or follow or whatever they call it these days uh, all the terminology's changed but uh, mm. do whatever you do in your podcast player of yeah. choice and we'll be back next week with pod 172 hooray cool. my favourite oh sorry bye yes mine too mm. bye, bye, bye yes bye
stage one complete. Let's go. Why is Pod 172 going to be your favourite, do you think? Oh, I could just feel it. There's something, I think there's something special in the air. In the air and your waters? No, uh, do you know what? I think it is going to be a special episode because, well, I'm going to spoil a little surprise here, but I'm not going to spoil it too much. Okay. Because from my point of view, yes. it's going to have a rather different format. Oh, no. Uh, You're messing around? Right. No, not messing around. Just, just for one week only. Just giving more of a rain we've, to our lovely podsterons. Because we've, we've got a bit of a tried and true formula no, here. You I know. know, I know. Trust me, it's going to work. Okay. Um, Just the once. Are there any quick fire fives? There might be. Oh, at least I've got a week to steal myself. Okay. Yeah, but it might be from Simon Allen. Oh, God. How can we ban you um, listeners from this thing? No, that's unfair. No. no, that's unfair. We can't start doing that. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. We love every one of you, even if you do send in quick fire fires. Okay, fine. Right. Well, I'm going to go off and, and do some, in fact, some Rocky style training and warm ups ready for the quick yeah, fire I fives. Would. Yeah, great. And uh, I wish you well for the next week. See you in 172. See you then. Bye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.